Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for coming to another episode of the 757 Renaissance Man Podcast. Today, we are going to be blessed and highly favored. I have one of 757's own, and he comes from a dynamic family here in the 757. I am sitting here with Pastor Cedric Rousen. How are you doing, sir? I'm well, man. Thank you so much for having me it's a pleasure to be here today man so you are one of those flamboyant (laughs) teaching playing preachers (laughs) we it's a lot to unpack here man okay not only are you one of my favorite preachers but you're also one of my favorite musicians and I want to know how do you balance both? So my my late godfather, uh, Bishop Donnie Graves, um, he was actually doing premarital counseling with my wife and I. So we're talking now what, 10 years ago or more. And he made a statement in the premarital counseling. He said, when God elevates you, he adds, he doesn't take away. And his point was in terms of gifting. He was saying, when God elevates you, God adds to your plate. He's not going to take away a gift he's already given you. So then your responsibility is to figure out how to find the balance Mm -hmm. with everything you have, you know. And for me, that probably is the best word I can use to sum it up. It's about balance. And then the other word I throw in is understanding assignment, being able to understand what moment requires what gift and then submitting to that without feeling the need to display, oh, well, I can do this too. Mm-hmm. Well, I can do that too. No, if I'm if I'm called to be the organist at a home going, I don't need to get a microphone and, and show people that I know a scripture too. So for me, it's really been about living in the balance and um, being humble um, with managing the responsibility that comes with the opportunities or the, or the assignments that I get. Mm-hmm. I kind of looked briefly at your history and I can see even in education, you've balanced both. Let's go down that road. What led you to this point, starting with high school? Which high school did you go to? All right. So I went to Oscar Smith, actually from Chesapeake. And uh, my junior year, end of my junior year, my, my father had a stroke. And we ended up moving. My parents had bought a new home in Portsmouth. And um, so we ended up transferring to Churchland. Um, so I actually graduated from Churchland High School, though I was only there for my senior year. Mm-hmm. Um, but I spent my school days uh, in, um, in Chesapeake. Graduated, went to Hampton University, was a music major. Um, I ended up dropping out my freshman year um, for a few complicated reasons, mainly just being young uh, and uh, making just some 
unhealthy decisions i think at that time following other you know people and just not being serious about my own path it wasn't until uh, around the time that my mother would pass away or just before then that i picked back up with education and um so i actually went to regent a, a university for undergrad and transferred to liberty because they were cheaper to be frank <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> and uh you know but you get what you pay for and so i i ended up uh, doing the majority of my undergrad at liberty university uh, which was quite an interesting journey <laughs> quite an interesting journey um i ended up um being able to finish out uh at richmond virginia seminary when i went to virginia union it was the polar opposite of liberty mm -hmm. in terms of ideology theology and so uh and even objective because of course at that point i'm you know seminary is not bible college at mm -hmm. all mm -hmm. so we did the three years of virginia union got the masters uh and then now i'm at, back at regent so it's kind of come full circle i remember the lord told me my second year at virginia union um i want you to get a, a doctor um um I want you to get your doctorate in leadership. Mm -hmm. And that was weird for me because most of the guys I knew, friends of mine were going after preaching degrees, you know, uh, D-men's and most of them with a concentration in some form of, of homiletics. And the Lord spoke to me very clearly one night, I want you to study leadership, um, that that was going to be the missing piece. And so the closer I got to understanding it, um, I, I, my passion led me to a doctor of strategic uh, uh, leadership, what's called the DSL, which is a newer program, and very few schools have it. So guess what two schools it came down to again? Liberty <laughs> and Region. <laughs> and to be honest with you, man, because we're being honest right mm -hmm. in this moment, I was petrified because the first thought I had is, what are my colleagues going to say? You know, we've been at, at Virginia Union. We're all black, black power, black, right. you know social justice, you know, and now I'm talking about going to a PWI mm -hmm. and at that, a, a very conservative school. Very, like region. very Republican, very Republican, very right. Yeah. And what I've actually found, man, is um, as controversial as the move was for me, it was God's will mm -hmm. because not only has it exposed me to information that sometimes we don't get or perspectives that we don't get but it also uh, put me in, in an atmosphere that I think in a way provides a balance for what my ministry platform is ultimately supposed to be. <laughs> so that's how we got to where we are. I've noticed a lot of, especially growing up in this area and being surrounded by, we have a, a large amount of um, HBCUs that most places don't have such a concentration like we do. And I've noticed from talking to different people, sometimes you need that duality. I think that as uh, African-American, or let's just go say black folks, I think mm -hmm. you should at least experience, even if it's just a semester of HBCU, because that kind of helps let you know. I believe yeah. sometimes you won't know your history unless you go there, you know, right. but also have the duality to go to a PWI because that shows you how the world works. Right. And I think right. that we're in a very unique situation with the schools that we have in this area. I agree. Mm -hmm. I agree. And, and, you know, just to say a word to the piece that you mentioned about the difference, both are needed. 
Mm-hmm. We, we need to be educated about our culture. And frankly, no one's going to give us that but our own. Mm-hmm. I am pro HBCU 100%. My wife is a, a graduate of Bennett um, mm-hmm. in Greensboro with her undergrad. And ironically, in the same sense, uh, a graduate of Liberty for her master's. Mm-hmm. So again, the two extremes. But I think, you know, when it comes to the heritage, there is so much I gained from my time at Hampton and from my time at VUU. But I also think that when it comes to learning how the world around us works, how the systems mm-hmm. work, it doesn't help, uh, excuse me, it doesn't hurt to be a Joseph who gets to go to Egypt to mm-hmm. figure out, right, how the economy runs. Because a lot of times they're not giving that information or displaying that to us within the circles in which we exist. Doesn't mean we don't have it mm-hmm. at all, or that we don't have any, you know, but in terms of the level of access there is a difference. I mean, that's the best way I can put it. There is a difference. And I have seen and experienced, you know, the difference. And and few people um, are willing to step outside of the comfort zone to experience what's needed for the assignment. Mm-hmm. Again, I don't have a dog in the fight. I think a person ought to be led by the spirit as to what to do. But I do feel for me and for my purpose path, I'm grateful that I made the move I made. There are a couple of days that I wonder, right? But I, I'm, I'm grateful for the move I made. Um, and surprisingly, I use my voice. I speak out. I write about things. I speak out about things. I'm open about my convictions and, and how I feel and what my ideologies are. But I am grateful um, to sort of have the balance between those extremes. Yes, yes. So what were you like as a child? I, and I go through these questions, especially with the, I grew up a church kid. We all grew up in the same circles. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not hard in this area. All you got to do is go to a couple of revivals and you didn't met everybody. <laughs> you know what I mean? And so I, and growing up a PK myself, I know that people sometimes have assumptions about how we live and how we come up. And one thing I like to highlight when I when I do um, interview my church folks is telling the real and what it really was like coming up because you know we we weren't born I don't say we weren't born um, churchy you know what I yeah. mean yeah. we you have the same if not even harder. Um, uh, what's the word? How I want to say this? Expectations growing up. Mm-hmm. So, were you bad, little boy? So honestly, um, maybe in my head, <laughs> <laughs> um, definitely wasn't perfect. I, I think I was fairly a normal kid. But the thing I'll say is, I, I started playing the piano when I was three. Mm-hmm. So by most accounts, people would consider me to have probably been a child prodigy, mm-hmm. even though I didn't say that way. Mm-hmm. But between that and being a PK, you grew up with a certain sense of social pressure. Exactly. That that made it made it awkward. Mm-hmm. So I didn't I didn't really do clubs and stuff like that. But it it wasn't because I was against it or was holy. It was because I was probably I I would go in there dance and they could tell I'd be from church. Right. You know. <laughs> right. Yeah. Right. I, I talked to girls and stuff in school, but I didn't. I never really had a, a my heart hard truth like you know real you know relationships 
my girlfriends would have been somebody from the choir or something like that. It, it wasn't that I didn't have that. Now, one of the things I'm grateful for my parents about is they let us live our lives. So because church puts you in a fishbowl as a PK, you're kind of living behind a glass wall. My parents tried to do their best to, to shield us in that sense. But I mean, I got in trouble like anybody else did, Yeah, you know, um, just a normal kid. You know, but I think I spent more time kind of introverted in a way because my interests were peaked. By the time I was seven, I was writing music, mm -hmm. you know, and my, our minister music had bought me uh, the first two James Hall CDs. Man, I was done, you know, <laughs> right. this sound right. from New York. So my focus was there. Yeah. I was writing music and I'm doing stuff in, in my at my own age, trying to figure out how to produce little stuff. So, you know, my intrigue, probably my curiosity um with my gift or talent or interest probably shielded me from some things but again in other ways man i was just as normal as anybody else got in trouble like everybody else got tempted like everybody else did crazy stuff like most other people um but i kind of always knew even as a as a young child that i had an assignment i didn't know always what it was mm -hmm. but i felt like i was chosen for something and i think that was the nagging voice in my mind that uh in my head that often pulled me back from mm -hmm. some of the things i wanted to do that i didn't get to because i had a list of stuff mm -hmm. i probably wanted to do like like other people and and for me it was just it didn't play out that way you ain't miss much <laughs> <laughs> so you said yeah. that you started playing at three was it a byproduct like i i, I tinkered on the keyboards and piano but because i'm mm -hmm. a church kid you spend a lot of time, especially being a PK, you spend a lot of um, time, downtime at the church while your parents are handling business. And that's how I started. Just, you know, I'm bored. It's a piano here. Let's start tinkling on it. Mm -hmm. Is that the same story for you? Sort of. Yeah, definitely that part. Um, but the piece I have to add, man, a lot of people don't know. My father um, was a very gifted um, um a musician, a piano player, trumpet player. And in some ways our stories were similar. I started younger than he did. And I can't remember if he had formal lessons or not. Uh, he may have, but he played for the junior choir at First Baptist Church Campus as a kid and that kind of thing. So when I was very, very young, uh, my parents bought me this, this, this keyboard. It may have been about that big, it's like a Fisher Price, mm -hmm. but I remember it because that's where I learned to play. And I remember to this day, my father showed me my first run on the keyboard. Mm -hmm. He was the first person to show me how to play shout music, you know? So he was present in that, in that, in that picture too. And then you couple that with, yeah, we're at church late and, you know, instead of falling asleep, I'm intrigued because there's a piano over there. It took me a minute to catch on to the organ. And I remember we had a we had a mother at our church who lived next door, and she came to me one day. I don't know, I might have been four, three, four, five years old, and she came to me and said, uh, "You know, don't you bang on that piano? Don't you don't you play that piano? You know, that's that's holy equipment, right? right. I know what that was, right? Sanctified. Yeah. That's that's holy. You don't play that." And so my father sort of introduced me to the church. Never will forget this. This might have been 1993, 92. Actually, I don't know the year, man. It may have been sooner than that. Dr. Marvin Duke had come to our church from Chesapeake Christian Center. 
and our organist who was supposed to be there that night to play for praise and worship didn't show up mm. and i remember asking my dad could i play mm. and i walked to the organ for what i can remember to be the first time and i was so short I had to stand up on the pedals because I couldn't sit down and my feet reached the pedals. Okay. And I played and people were kind of mesmerized. And I guess it kind of goes from there. But as far back as I can remember, I remember playing. My aunt Brenda passed away in 1991. For some reason, I remember this. I was born in 86. Um, I remember not going to her home going. Mm -hmm. My, my sister and I didn't go. We stayed with a sitter. And I remember then um, watching the video of one of our organists who played the service wishing I could have been there to play. So that tells you how far back I've been playing. Okay. okay. Yeah. yeah. So I um, I'd always compare um, our local musicians, especially our church musicians. Like I say, you know, Peggy Britt, is our local Shirley Caesar. Mm, okay. I tend to compare you and your siblings as the Gospel Jacksons. Wow. <laughs> I've never heard that before. If if the Jacksons had a gospel group, it would be you wow. and your siblings. Okay. So was it a natural thing between you guys growing up with music with each other? Did you make each other better? Did you, you know, write songs together? How was that growing up in that household? So, so pretty much, yes. Um, what I'll say is my brother and I are five years apart. <laughs> and so um, all of us played something. M my cousin, uh, uh, Kevin, was in the house with us too. He and my brother are a couple of months apart. So they kind of, they, they grew up together. <laughs> and then my sister and I are 19 months apart. So we grew up together, but we were all close. <laughs> so both, both Kevin and Ray played drums. My brother later, you know, picked up bass. My sister was a singer and I was a keyboard player. So, you know, I don't know. We should have formed a Gospel Jackson, see? <laughs> yeah. So um, I remember, again, going back to maybe seven years old, I started writing music <laughs> and my sister was my choir. Mm -hmm. I had a one member choir and we literally would take, um, I, I figured out how to, how to record on a cassette tape and then how to overdub mm -hmm. by take another cassette and play mm -hmm. and then record the sound. And we literally, I still have a box of cassette tapes, some of which contain old songs that she and I would create together. We never, ever, you know, put them out songs that we would create together and record. So, yeah, I mean, we, we kind of naturally fused together. Uh, that type of way, though we never performed as a family in that official sense. Um, we've been rolling together for a long time, and to this day, mm -hmm. though our paths are taking us in different in our own um, of respective places, our chemistry, even mm -hmm. musically, is just like that. To this day, I've played with a lot of bass players. I've played with a lot of drummers. I've I've played for a lot of singers, but the chemistry that that we share is unique because we've walked together for so many years. Yes, yes. All transparency, I have contacted your siblings and um, as I also want to do separate interviews, but okay. I want to interview you guys together. That'd be cool. As a whole. It's never been done before. We, right. We've never done it before. And I think it would, I think it's one of the things where I could probably put y'all in a room and step back and know everything that happened yeah. on this own. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so let's talk. That would be cool. Let's talk about touring. 
And I know that you have toured internationally. Where is your favorite location? What's been your favorite location to tour? Italy all day. And, mm -hmm. you know, the culture and the food, uh, <laughs> you know, um, all day. And I, I've done Switzerland and I've played in India and um, some other places, um, Italy all day. You know, um, I've always gone at Christmas time. I've done Denmark too. I've always gone at Christmas time. And so um, for them, because in Italy, you know, there really isn't a Protestant, you know, witness uh, or much of one for the church. It's Catholicism all day. It's, yeah. You know, Rome is the right epicenter. Right there, right, yeah. So, right. So um, Christmas time becomes their main season for gospel. Mm -hmm. So they have all of these festivals and, and concerts and things like that. And to go from city to city um, has always been just a rewarding feeling. Um, I actually enjoyed the tour life, if you will. Mm -hmm. um, you know, on the bus, sleep by day, alone space. I'm kind of introverted. So the idea of being on, in the back of the bus for me with headphones on, I'm in heaven. You leave me alone. If I got an iPad that works or a computer, I'm good. We go in, we meet the people, we play the show, we get to do the music every night. The energy is there. So I would say Italy, man, by, by far has, has been um, my favorite experience. Yeah. Do you think the interaction with the music and the crowd is different? For example, you know, when you play down south, you know when you're playing the route because the mother of the church is going to let you know. Mm -hmm. you're going to get that call and response. Do you have that same type of feel out of the country? No. So. And with play, that said, is it uh, kind of weird? You have to adjust getting used to that. You do. Mm -hmm. um, and the first time it, it, it really kind of, it threw me for a loop. Now one, I should say my very first tour, I played drums on the tour. Okay. So that was interesting because I, I didn't play the keys, maybe with exception, maybe like one song a night. But um, the, the thing there is they don't respond the way we do. So you don't know you're doing a good job till it's over. Mm -hmm. And whether you're preaching or singing, because I have done both overseas, you don't, they're not talk back, clap back. And if it's an enjoyable song, they'll clap with you. Mm -hmm. But it's very much like watching theater. Mm -hmm. Now, what I've noticed is when, if this, you know, when the spirit moves, things like that, you'll see people crying and that sort of thing. But for the most part, you will probably think you are boring them until it's over and they flood you uh -huh. with compliments, with appreciation, with gratitude. Um, we've had people try to give us gifts. I mean, all kinds of stuff. We even had, we've had people give their life to Christ uh -huh. on tour. Um, and again, we would have never thought in the moment uh -huh. that these people are electrified until you get to, of course, the end of a concert and you're doing the encore and stuff. But it's a very different culture and you have to adjust because if not, then the insecurity that you may bring to that moment may uh, may keep you from from doing your best work. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. I would love to experience that. Definitely. I would love to experience it again. That was one <laughs> of the things I actually went my last tour right before COVID is <laughs> ironically of uh, 2019. I got the call from Earl Bynum and I want to shout him out because um, the majority of my musical travel international has been playing for him down through the years and uh this last time i don't think he thought i was going to say yes because you know by now i've got a child right. and pastor in the church and in school and all of that and uh, but i said yeah man let's rock 
and we went and I was so glad I did because of course I had no clue mm-hmm. that uh, that the virus was right around the corner right. and yeah. that it would reshape travel and all of that. So yeah. Shout out to Earl Vinyl. Love, love to go back. Yeah. Shout Earl, out, man. Earl did the show a couple of weeks ago. So Okay. Yeah. Actually his episode will probably be right before your episode. Gotcha. Yeah, man. Yeah. So what was it like um being all right, so when you met your wife, were you a pastor yet? No. Okay. So tell us what is it like to what, tell us the story of how you met your wife. All right. So the long story short is um, I had actually attempted to rekindle a relationship with an ex. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was it was a, a long shot. It had been years and we had kind of crossed paths again. And you know how you just want to see if it's something there. Mm-hmm. Still have a residue in your heart. Well, it didn't work out. Mm-hmm. And uh, that she moved on. And I remember saying to myself at that point, kind of heartbroken, uh, at my failed attempt. And I was like, you know what? I'm just not even going to really try my hand right now at relationships. I'm done with it. It is what it is. I probably said that the beginning of March okay. of 2009. And within a month, I met Nadia. We mm-hmm. met through uh, some mutual friends. Uh, shout out Pastor Derry Haywood and, uh, and, and Marquita uh, from Richmond. Um, he was at our church at the time. He was actually serving with me in music ministry. And he was, and I think Nadia just come with Marquita to the church to drop off something for dairy or something like that. Mm-hmm. Now, what's funny is I didn't know we had just dedicated um, our, our church, the church I now pastor, um, and she was at the service to okay. support her friend dairy. And we had no clue that we went, you know, that we both were in the same room. And when we met, it was not love at first sight, particularly not on her part. <laughs> we literally just formed a friendship. A lot of people don't know uh, that my wife is six years older than me. Mm-hmm. So that might be a part of why they was in love for son. Like, who's this little boy? <laughs> you know? <laughs> and uh, so we just formed a slow friendship and that friendship morphed um, into what it, you know, into what it uh, it became. So, you know, now my hunch is if you listen to my version of the story in detail and listen to hers, mine is probably better because uh, she she has edited out the parts where she <laughs> gave me a hard time. Right? Okay, okay. But uh, but yeah, man, I mean, that's kind of our story um, that it just happened at a space where, and I always say, I think my disappointment made, made room. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it, it put me in a position where because I wasn't looking for it, then I wasn't overdoing it. So okay. when, so it was like, instead of me being on the search for a girlfriend, it allowed me to be open to a friendship mm-hmm. and that friendship then morphed into, um, into what we have. Yeah. And see that, and that goes back into my whole lines of showing the human side of a minister, because mm-hmm. we fall in love, we get hurt. You know, we oh, have yeah. the same desires as anybody else. It's just our, you know, your walk is a little bit different. Well, your walk is a lot different, you know, so how is it finding the balance in between that without being over churchy? Because that is a I think is a point you can be over churchy and um seeing almost like an average person when it comes to dealing with relationships and dating. Well, one I don't drink my own Kool-Aid. Mm-hmm. 
if such Kool-Aid exists. I'm kind of a what you see is what you get kind of person. I don't like to put on airs. Um, I'm not the ambitious type, and I don't say any of this to knock anybody, okay? Mm -hmm. But I'm not the type of person that's walking around handing out my business card trying to be somebody. Um, And most importantly, I am very, very aware of my humanity and of and of the fact that I am a person. So, and I, I really learned this from my father. I would hear him say, pastoring is what I do, it's not who I am. Mm, okay. You see, and I adopted that. So for me, when it comes down to, to having a life or just, you know, relaxing or being human or enjoying a marriage or raising a family, that's not hard for me. My wife doesn't call me past at home. You know, we don't have the type of culture or climate in our family where um, I'm trying to parade my title. Um, when I leave church on a Sunday and I'm taking that drive home, a part of what I enjoy, if you will, is disrobing or undressing, pulling off some of the weight and the layers that comes with the ministry moment Mm -hmm. to just be myself. Being home is an oasis, Mm -hmm. being a dad, being a husband, just being a friend. That doesn't, that doesn't bother me. That, that actually refuels me. And it gives me joy. So I cling to it, mm-hmm. you know, and, and I don't say that to say that I'm, that I'm, uh, you know, um, I negate my pastoral responsibility and nothing like that. Mm-hmm. But what I'm saying is that I'm not caught up in the hype. Mm-hmm. I don't believe the hype. And, and as, as a result of that, it allows me to take joy in being transparent. I love the moments when people say uh, something like, man, I, I didn't know you were down to earth. I, you know, I enjoy those moments because I'm like, well, what did you expect me to be? Mm-hmm. Like, you know, I'm, I'm a guy. I'm a dude like you. I'm, right. You know, I'm just a guy, man. You know, we each have an opportunity. We each have an assignment. Everybody's got a part to play. But I'm just a regular guy like anybody else. And because that's what I believe in my core, um, then I live that out every day. Okay. Yeah. Yep. By the way, congratulations on the, Thank you, sir. On Thank the you, new man. baby. Yeah. He's keeping us up every night, as you can imagine. <laughs> so this is, this is not your first? No, second child. Second so child. we have a six-year-old, okay. and now Caden uh, uh, is, uh, well, he's two weeks. So, yeah, so Creedon and Caden, and Cree's uh, been a great big brother so far, and Caden uh, is a precious baby. But, you know, sometimes I feel like, why do we wait so long to do this again? <laughs> Because now we're a little older than we were obviously six years ago. So the long nights and early mornings, but man, I wouldn't trade it for the world. Yeah, man. Yeah, man. Yeah. One of the things I like, and you kind of touched on it earlier, is I like the way I've heard uh, quite a few of your sermons. And you have a plain way of speaking. Whereas some pastors go through these uh, verbal athletics that you you have a down to earth way of expressing it. And just recently, it's a snippet snippet of one of your sermons uh, when you was preaching and you was, I was talking about um, when you guys were on tour and how you used to end it out with the Michael Jackson song. <laughs> and one of the lines that I love so much was when you were telling um, the young ladies that during the pandemic, you could have been with somebody else, but you chose to be alone 
because you're searching for your Boaz and not your dumb. Oh my God. <laughs> First of all, you have to know my wife shrinks when I make those kind of statements. <laughs> she puts her head down and she's like, Rousin, Rousin, stop, because she knows that it gets me in trouble. But anyway, I don't know I about am. getting in it it brings back to what we were talking about, the humanity of a pastor. You yeah. can't speak above the people right. you're pastoring to. Right. And you got to realize, yes, we do have people that are holier than thou, but we do also have people that's trying to find their way. Right. And I think a line like that makes somebody sit up and be like, hold up. He gets it. Yep. Yeah. You know, um, first of all, Holy Spirit mm-hmm. leads and guides. Um, and I have to, I, I can't overstate that. My father, though, is sort of my model for that. My father is probably the best preacher I've ever heard in my life. Mm-hmm. Um, just a master orator because he understands the weight of having good content and having um, a good way to communicate it. Mm-hmm. He, he didn't sacrifice one for the other. So he had revelation, but he also had style. And one of my father's styles was, and he is, to use common language, to use references that appeal to people's everyday lives to state a point or make a point come to life. And I grew up, I guess because I grew up with that type of preaching, it really just becomes natural for me to do the same thing. Mm-hmm. And let me say this, if I can, it's probably been a saving grace for me. Mm-hmm. particularly in moments where, um, and to know me, I actually don't like platform preaching. Mm-hmm. My insecurity struggles with that. Um, but when I have been on some platforms with, you know, very uh, ac- um, academic, very scholarly preaching, and I, and I love to hear it. Sometimes I don't know how good I am at duplicating it. But my saving grace has been in the in the two or three seconds before I stand up there, I have to slap myself and say, "Be yourself." Mm-hmm. And what I learn is when I when I get up and I exhale and I do what I always do the way I do it, it actually worked. Mm-hmm. The message went across with the people, and that becomes affirming for me because what I've learned is that the the pew, the average pew, even those intelligent in the pew, don't really care about who you read. Mm-hmm. they care that you read but they're not interested in uh how fancy you can arrange your words they want to know what are you trying to say mm-hmm. and is god saying this and what do i need to do with it and i've just learned to cut to that chase so thank you man for even pointing that out i think that's affirming in a way because sometimes I, I question if if that's the right approach but it's been working for me you know so far I've been lucky enough to have grown up in uh, attend New Hope Baptist Church. Sam mm-hmm. Logan is a pastor. Yeah. Before um, Pastor Logan, we had Reverend Sidney Foster, mm-hmm. and both of them are very teaching preachers. Mm-hmm. More than you need to do this, you need to do that. They, you feel like you come out with having learned something or with the desire to learn something and go into it. And I feel that you are also in that same vein. And when you are a minister in that vein, you can get 
more across to your your uh, your congregation. I agree. Thank you. First of all, that humbles me, man. But I do agree with that. Mm. You can get more. You don't really see in in the gospels where Jesus pulled people away on a mountain and yelled at them, mm-hmm. right? He would teach them. He'd even teach them from a ship, on you know, amidst the waves mm-hmm. and the currents. Jesus Jesus understood as a communicator how to start where people were and then bring them. That's what the sermon on the mount was about. He would say, "You've heard it said in the days of old, but I say unto you." That means he's starting with what they already know, mm-hmm. and then brings them from from information into revelation. This is what you know already. This is what you heard. Now. I'm going to take that and reshape it in a contemporary context to show you God's ultimate eternal truth behind whatever it was you thought you knew. To me, that's what preaching ought to do, mm-hmm. you know, and I, I strive for that. I want to ask you this. All right. So my show, yes, I'm a church kid. And yes, mm-hmm. I do have uh, pastors and ministers and other church people on, but I also mm-hmm. have friends that are rappers, entertainers, entrepreneurs, and I have them on too. So my question to you, what is your, who, well, okay. What is your favorite non-gospel style music and who do you listen to when you're not listening to gospel music? All right. Ironically, it's, it's going to be two different, uh, answers. I love jazz. Um, I really like any kind of, pretty much any type of music, uh, most genres of music, not really like a heavy metal kind of guy, but mm-hmm. most genres of music uh, I'm, I'm, I'm game for. Um, but I, I love the smoothness of jazz, but I also like that big band swing jazz type feel mm-hmm. too. Okay. Um, so it really depends on the mood I'm in. It could be from a PJ Morton to a Stevie Wonder mm-hmm. to um frank sinatra Mm -hmm. love his music Mm -hmm. to michael jackson to um you know her Mm -hmm. to you know you you name them it just depends on the the mood i'm in at the time um because i love music the way i do now my love for music is very interesting because I don't know all the lyrics to all the songs. Okay. Like I, my, my sister is that person. <laughs> she knows every lyric to every song I've made. That's, that's not me. You're, you're more of an instrumental type of person. She's a singer. So I can see that. Exactly. So she's going to do that. Yeah. For me, the music becomes something I absorb. Mm-hmm. So when I'm, and, and I actually like it the most, I like to listen to music the most at night mm-hmm. riding in the car, which is, rare nowadays in the pandemic that i'm riding in the car in the evening as as much but i enjoy it you know so it just depends on the mood i'm in Mm -hmm. um but i i definitely listen to all kinds of music ray charles art tatum i mean these you know i and i'm i'm naming a lot of older cats because i have an infatuation with history Mm -hmm. in terms of culture particularly our history and black culture and but history in general so I, I love even to see movies that are taped to represent the 20s or the 50s mm-hmm. or the 60s or the civil rights struggle, things like Funny that. Funny thing, I that's that. how I came up with the 757 Renaissance, man. The Harlem Renaissance. You got it. Exactly. And there were so, so many, you uh, had artists and poets and musicians and all concentrated yeah. in the Harlem Renaissance back then. Kind of yeah. reminds me what we have going on here in the Hampton Rose area. Absolutely. 
Absolutely. So, yeah, I don't know that I have a – if I had to choose a favorite, I'm going to say anything that's P.J. Morton, man, all day mm-hmm. for some reason. I just rock with him. I think he understands because he comes from the church, he gets yes. church and infuses church into his music in a way that it appeals to us. And because his music isn't vulgar, mm-hmm. then he became safe for the church kids to listen to. You know, and and we get to say, oh, that that's Bitch Paul Morton's son. You know, he's right, he's right. okay. You know, yeah. he's on the okay list. So, Mama, we can know, listen to this. He's my all time <laughs> favorite. Um, I, I love his chord arrangements. Just the, his approach to music, how he uses simplicity mm-hmm. to bring out genius. His whole song might exist on four chord changes. Mm-hmm. You know you know but he works it so yeah i mean if, if any given day it'd be pj is the go-to now my wife is a 90s r&b hip-hop head so you come to my house and alexa's liable we're gonna have over company or something like that and she gets in her mood or just, let's say she's cleaning up we're cleaning up mm-hmm. the house she's gonna put on lauren hill she's gonna right. she's gonna put on or, or she's gonna go hip-hop and you know so we kind of do it man some of all of it really mm-hmm. Yeah. Coming up, um, were you allowed to listen to other music in the household? Oh, yes. Yeah. Now, <laughs> what I'll say is it was it was kind of like do it at your own risk. My father right. wouldn't say much, but my mom, that holiness in my mother, you know, if, if the language was going to be vulgar or something like that, then you got to be careful because yeah. she come in speaking in tongues. Cast yeah, the devil out. But they allowed us to live, man. I got banned from the family stereo. <laughs> I have a um, so everybody that knows me knows I, I I'm a hip hop head I love hip hop yeah. specifically 80s 90s hip hop and this was the time where NWA came out okay and um, now that you know we can be scholarly about it and we can talk about right. how they were right. ahead of their time back right. then. They was just some cussing Negroes, you know? Right, right. <laughs> and I forgot, I was listening to the Easy e tape, and right. I forgot to take it out to stereo. <laughs> and so I get my love of music from my parents, specifically my mother. My mother, would she surprised me once I got older and saw the, the, um, the variety of music that she listened to, even though I knew, you know, she was a soloist at Hampton University in the Gospel Choir. You know, wow. so it that surprised me. But one day, you know, she's gonna. I think she used the stereo more than anybody in the house. Saturday morning, clean up. You know, she goes to press the button, thinking that she's gonna hear Luther Vandross. Right. And anybody that's listening that knows the very first Easy E um, tape, and I have to say tape because that was the time. Right. Yeah, 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 knows that it starts out with a very specific bit of profanity. Like he started out to let you know what you were about to hear, right? And she heard that. <laughs> yeah, I think that I was banned from the stereo until I turned at least eighteen. <laughs> <laughs> I think I had to have my—I was old enough to have my own That's stereo funny. before I can control the music. And I wow, also, yeah, wow, yeah. Yeah, that's that's funny, man. Yeah, but I get it. Yeah. So, I do you also? I know you're a well-studied musician. Are you also able to play by ear? It's the opposite. Mm-hmm. 
it's um I'm actually very little study. Okay. So I mainly play by ear. Um, my my I actually didn't so I played um in the orchestra. I was actually the first chair string bassist from well, I started off from cello in fifth grade, picked up bass in sixth grade and did it through my freshman year. Uh but I so I could read the bass clip, but I couldn't really read music till I went to Hampton. And because and that was one of my regrets in not sticking it through with Hampton as a music major. But a part of why I didn't to get into that story is because I didn't read music so much so that I tried to skip my audition mm-hmm. and I got caught. So I, mm-hmm. I was a music engineering major. I went to music engineering because I figured that well, music engineering, that's like running a studio. Right. Certainly they're not going to make you have to do recitals and stuff. Yeah, I was wrong. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so when I figured out that I had to audition and I had to learn how to read and uh, Dr. Um, I'm trying to think of the, the gentleman's name, man. I know it if I didn't have to say it. Uh, hopefully his name will come to me soon. But they they were very nice about it. They worked me into the program. And I was so petrified about reading that my my first uh, recital, um, I actually uh, wrote a gospel song to the tune to remember how to play it. Okay. So very little train. I play mostly by ear. At this stage in my life, I regret it because there's certain opportunities you have to be able to fluently read in order to, to to really maximize. So yeah, just to give that note of clarity, man. I mean, I'm mainly by ear, and I have picked up theory along the way. Okay. And to that end, I have a profound respect for colleagues of mine who have really dug into the book, have done the work. Um, I just think they deserve to be in a class all by themselves. Mm-hmm. Do you think that your children, I know it might be a little bit early for the baby, but do you think your children also have that uh, music bug? So I I do. um, What my wife and I committed to do was to let them come into it on their own. Mm -hmm. So my oldest, you know, he loves to, most kids at that age love drums, but he really doesn't care for drums. He actually, we, as somebody who gave us a drum set, I finally gave it away to his cousin because he didn't want to play it. Um, he likes keyboard. He likes to play around on keyboard and it's specific to the point that on his iPad, he asked me to download a keyboard app and so he follows the keys. So he's learning, but I haven't started really teaching. I'll show him some little stuff, but I haven't really started aggressively teaching him because I don't. I just don't think it's sunk deep enough into him yet to commit to it. I think right now it's just fun. So he enjoys it. But he doesn't bang. He will play notes. Um, I would love if if one of my boys would pick it up, mm-hmm. because that's just at this point sort of a legacy. Mm-hmm. Um, I got it. From, you know, my father played. I played. I love for them to play, but I'm equally as content if they don't. I find that the younger generations um, aren't as interested in playing instruments like we were like I came up in a church so I came up tinkering on the piano um I went to a church where one of the things you did was you were, were in the band I went right. to D Creek High School and it was at least two or three of us in every grade from my church into the band to so much so they used to call us the little New Hope gang in the band wow but I don't see that need to play quote unquote 
real instruments right in the younger generation where they're more so into and even when coming up my mom used to be like you know i don't want you on the keyboards and synthesizer i want you to play piano but now it's even beyond that where they don't even really play keyboard. It's these drum machines and sequencers right. and mixers. Right. right. How do you think that's going to affect the later generations in music? Well, one, I think there'll always be a remnant in any generation with anything. You'll always have people who um, carry on the sort of the continuity of whatever was passed down. But by and large, Everything is digital. Mm -hmm. And I think one of the problems with it is, um, as you, I think, have, have stated or at least alluded to, they're kind of being a lost art. Mm -hmm. um, I fear that, honestly. Like I, 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 you can play a synthesized saxophone. Right. But there's something about that nuance of how, knowing how to Absolutely. make your mouth, yep. you know, massage certain notes. That's right. That I think that they're just missing out on. Yeah, I mean, it's it's nowadays you can literally sit at a computer without knowing anything about you know music at all. You can sit in these programs and click buttons that play patterns or drag loops mm -hmm. and create entire songs without knowing how to play anything. So, you know, that does alarm me because again, I think we lose the art. Mm -hmm. and, and the thing that makes music music is the art. It's, it's that it's not so computerized, that it's not so predictable. So I am concerned about that. I think there will always be, you know, as I said, a number of purists, so to speak, who try to keep the art alive. But I also have to admit to, you know, we, we have to change with the times when it comes to certain things um, and evolve as the times change. I just hope that, that our kids will find an interest. Now, let me, I have to say this. I think a part of that is up to us and it's up to us based upon how we treat our children when they're young. Mm -hmm. So in other words, you know, a child is not going to be inclined to want to learn a piano or a saxophone or a drum. If that child's social time is consumed on an iPad, a tablet or in front of a television or a game system, mm -hmm. I think there has to be a balance of that, that while they're young, we have to teach them to respect boundaries and to have time. So like in our home, there are times we take the iPad away or things like that. And we'll say, no, you don't get any of that right now. Mm -hmm. Go play with your toys or go pick up a book or go. We force him in a way to create balance because it's hard to have appreciation where there is no balance for it because I don't have an appetite for it because mm -hmm. I'm consumed by the thing that I always crave and enjoy. So a part of that is on us. It's not just their attention spans and things like that. It's what, what are we exposing them to? What do we give them? Um, and even when it comes to church, think about it. When we were growing up, our musicians, for the most part, were a part of the ministry or, you know, were, if they weren't, it was some family friend or somebody common, right? Mm -hmm. Or the idea was when I was going to church, man, we had like five drummers, you know, we had the main guy. You know, but then after the main guy, we had like four or five guys who all came to church every Sunday with drumsticks fighting for the chance to get right. their song. Right. Nowadays, we have uh, traded disciples for professionals. Mm -hmm. And I'm not knocking any of this. I'm mm -hmm. going on record for those hearing reviewing the podcast. It's not me coming for anybody. But we have become so consumed in the modern church with being 
excellent that now we've traded everything for professionals. So think about it. Nowadays, you've got a drum locked in a drum cage can't nobody touch. Mm -hmm. Or you go to the church and the symbols are all gone if service is not there. Or, you know, you've got a keyboard so complicated that, that a young person in your church won't be able to work it. I learned how to play because I could, I could go over to the piano, the upright at the church and play it. I don't even know that our church cultures are conducive anymore. And, and maybe a, a remedy to this, and it gives me an idea, is to create sort of a, a music or arts arm mm -hmm. to youth ministry. Mm -hmm. You know, instead of just having a music ministry to create that modality within youth ministry and give them access to instrumentation that they can play with. But honestly, man, you know, and, and at my church is critical of the same thing. Now, you know, JJ is my drummer, uh, JJ Lassiter. It's nothing for him over the years to take a young person and give him a pair of sticks and sit down and show them how to play. You know, my guys are open to that kind of thing, but I'm just saying as a culture, mm -hmm. we have created such a professional culture in church now and even the church parishioners, and I'm sorry, because I know I'm veering off your question, but even the parishioners are in such a rush to get out of church when church is over, mm -hmm. if they come. Right, right. That we don't get the, that time spent with the children in the context of the main service. So we don't know what young people may have a, a gift being cultivated in a specific way, unless that person makes themselves known, their parents make them known to us. So I, I think there's just some things, there's some work that needs to be done from all sides mm -hmm. to recreate a culture that um, that provides opportunity for, for kids to show their interest, particularly in music. Awesome. All right, so one final question before I get ready to let you go. Do you prefer the organ or the piano? Ooh. So let me say um, I consider myself an organist who plays the piano. Okay. I don't feel that I have um, the greatest dexterity for piano, um, but I enjoy it. Mm -hmm. So it literally goes kind of goes back to the prior question of music it depends on the mood i'm in actually lately i've been craving going somewhere where there is an, uh, a, a a baby grand mm -hmm. i want a not a keyboard i want a baby grand and I, and that's tuned well <laughs> and i want to be locked in there for like two or three hours mm -hmm. i've been craving that and i just haven't made any phone calls i might make some phone calls to some people and and see you know with COVID going on a lot of places you know well, may not be open. You know, to that, let me talk to Pastor Logan because we got a baby grand at the Hope Center. Got you. And yeah. maybe I could bring my camera, and we can see what happens. Man, I love to. I just love to because there's a purity there mm -hmm. that I don't get. Um, I sat down on the organ you know the other day, um, so I enjoy it. But most of the playing that I do now. I'm playing to record, mm -hmm. you know, I'm playing in, in from behind the scenes to just be able to sit down with no agenda and just play whatever comes to mind and maybe have a notepad handy if I start writing something, but to just play, oh man, yeah. I, that would probably be, that that might be a missing element of what I, I need right now. Because for me, music at its core, I mean, that's simple to just sit at the instrument and play it actually brings, it calms my spirit and it brings me back in here. When I get stressed out, a part of my detox is music. Mm 
Mm-hmm. Um, whether it's again riding in the car and I'm listening to it with the windows down, and or whether it's playing it. And so, um, yeah, it just depends, man. I mean, I, I love the organ. I grew up playing the organ, but it seems here more lately I've had a craving to just play the piano. Well, we're gonna make that happen. Yeah. You know, make that happen. I was quite the opposite where, and this is one of the reasons I admire you so. I grew up playing the piano and I've had piano lessons from the time I was eight to the time I graduated from high school. Mm-hmm. But it's something about that organ. I just could not, it seems like it's just so much going on. Yeah. And I'm sitting here trying to concentrate on the right note. <laughs> <You know? laughs> yeah. Yeah. But you're I, one of I, those. I always loved the organ, man. I always loved the organ. You were one of those organists that you just know how to make that thing sing. Oh, wow, man. Um, honestly, God just put me around the right people. And I had an interest to, to listen and glean. More was caught than taught. Mm-hmm. Um, I always accredit uh, 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 Michael Robinson, who was our childhood, you know, Minister of Music at First Pen. Mm-hmm. He has probably been the single handedly most influential mentor in music but you know marcus dawson donnie graves mm-hmm. uh, some others and then those you watch and listen to from afar who weren't up close um you know i'm i'm the i'm the product of the voices or the influences that fed me and putting them all together harnessing it and and, and infusing my own personality i guess is kind of how i arrive at where i am so all right, so I told a fib. I'm gonna ask you one more question. Do yeah, you? Yes, and it goes back to what we were just speaking about. Do you think that there is a shortage of younger people wanting to actually play the organ? Um, I remember we went as a church. We needed a new organ, and mm-hmm. the question was: Do we get a new fancy organ, or do we go with the same? You know, was it the Hammond B3? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, the class. Do we do it? The class, and then we ended up keeping the old Hammond. I don't have no yeah. idea how old that thing is. It was the organ they had. I've come to my church when I was five years old, and it's the same organ they've okay. had since, and I'm forty six years old now. Yeah, so gotcha. they just had it retuned or whatever, and you know, refurbished. Uh-huh. But uh-huh. yeah, do you think that you know there's a lack of interest in it because we have the keyboards now? as opposed to learning the intricacies of the organ? Uh, I think to some degree, yes. If so, I think a lot of it is, is just because of the, for many of us, maybe not your church specifically or my church, but for a lot of churches, a lot of black churches, we've gotten away from the use of organs, whether gospel organs or even classical organs in our worship styles mm-hmm. i think in our efforts to be more mainstream um and i'm not against it but in our efforts to be more mainstream we've kind of indoctrinated more of a ccm approach mm-hmm. and so well ccm music doesn't feature the hammond at all mm-hmm. you know and so um when when our aim is to sing music now that's created and most of the even most of the the modern gospel artists are either trying to be R&B or some hybrid of CCM mm-hmm. or, you know, in terms of praise and worship. Mm-hmm. So there's very little room for the Hammond in, in, in those moments. And so I do think that there may be a decline. I can't speak with certainty. I can give my observation. And in my observation, I would say that if there is a, that if there is a decline, then it's due greatly to, uh, 
folks not being exposed to it. And mm -hmm. I think churches, we owe it. And I've heard preachers, man, I know our time ago, I've heard, mm -hmm. you know, preachers say, oh, the times are changing. Y'all need to sell that P3, you know, because ain't nobody want to hear that no more. Well, that's, that to me sounds like the rhetoric that the same preacher saying that still want to who? Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, so, so my point is, that to me sounds, and I do believe in changing with the times, and I've even changed my my style, uh, some. But but I think that we owe it to ourselves to be ourselves, to not be stuck, but to be ourselves. And when it comes to gospel music and it comes to church music, there is a place for the Hammond organ in in our tradition of church. And if we would stop feeling ashamed of it, mm -hmm. then we might have more people to take interest in it. I think especially in the black gospel church, it's those songs had duality. They had more meaning than just the gospel Christian song. You know, right. you, you've heard the stories where they were the old hymns that the slaves used to sing that, you know, right. let them know where to go and how to get yep. out of bondage. Correct. I think, you know, we still need to hold on to that for our history of being black folks. Absolutely. Not just black Christians, right. but we are more than just that. And I think like a lot of the old hymns, you know, we're getting away from that. And I, I used to, I'm not even going front. I used to be a church like, why are we singing this old song right now? But it's something about when somebody plays something like it's something in the blood. You know, it's something that takes me back to just seeing my dad right. on a pulpit. And knowing the struggles that he came from and his people came from, it's great that now we Absolutely. have the options and abilities to go forward. But I don't think we should forget our past either. Yep. Even the Bible tells us, man, don't forget the old landmarks. And there are, there are ways to incorporate it and integrate them into our modern context of ministry. Mm hmm and that's one of the things that I want to praise uh, our music ministry for doing throughout our history. They've always worked hard to infuse and combine and bridge the old with the new. My church is five, four or five generations tall. Mm -hmm. So I can't just appeal to millennials. I got five generations in my church, some within the same family. Mm -hmm. So we have to find a way to bridge those gaps. And I think that if we, if we respect it, you know, um, then there's enough room for everything. There's room for the keyboards and the synthesizers and the drum machines. And there's also room for the hand. There's room for the Allen organ. There's room for the grand piano. There's a space for everything. And if we understand that it's both and not either or, I think we will attract what we put out bait for. All right. Well, our time is coming short. So um, I always ended off by asking a, a similar question to everybody. If you had a young up-and-comer that was looking to you for inspiration and they came to you and they say, Pastor said, I'm interested in following your footsteps, what advice would you give them? Whew. You know, um, if I had only one thing to to say to them, I would probably tell them, um, don't follow in my footsteps. Ask me how important it was for me to get to where I was going. Mm -hmm. Because my footsteps might not lead in the direction of your path. But if you can connect with, with who you are, 
mm-hmm. and know who you are, know who God is mm-hmm. and who God is in you, then, 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 then we can walk your path together. So instead of you trying to walk where I've gone, maybe what my blessing can be for you is to help you walk into the path that you are headed. And the reason that's important to me is because I don't want to create clones. Mm-hmm. I don't want to create imitators. I'm not interested in trying to raise up a, a, a generation of people who mimic what they see me do. What I want is, is to help instill into others the ability to discover what they were called to do. So yeah, I'm more interested um, in, in helping a person walk out their path than showing, than making them walk my own. And I think that one major key to that, again, starts with knowing God and then learning yourself and becoming okay with the person you discover. That's great. So this is what I'm going to do. Um, I'm going to go ahead and get an outro. But then instead of playing my normal outro music, I'm going to give the people a sample of you on the organ. Wow. Yeah, technology, bro. <laughs> it is. So, ladies and gentlemen, thank you for listening to this episode of the 757 Renaissance Man. I am Sean Connors. This is Pastor Cedric Rousen, and we are out.
Did you feel that? <laughs> I felt that. <laughs> so thank you so much for coming out and taking the time out of your day to do this. I really appreciate it. I know you're not supposed to be a fan in, in the church community, but I am definitely a fan, man. Wow. Wow, man. That means everything to me for you to allow me the space uh, to be able to come and share, man. This has just been fun and uh, grateful for the opportunity. Thank you again for uh, just giving me the platform. I, I'm humbled by it, man. I really appreciate it. I really mean what I said about I'm about to, as soon as we stop, I'm about to call Pastor Sam. We're Let about me know. to hook it up because I think that is something that needs to be seen and heard. Wow. Okay. I'm down. All right. And we're going to do a part two with your whole family. Gotcha. Sounds good. I think that'll be dope. Sounds great. Thank you for your time, sir. Thank you, sir. Hug that baby for me. We'll do. All right. Bye.